Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. And as always, I know that you're going to find it helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me this morning. We are looking at Luke chapter 17, and we are reading... I'm so sorry, I lost my place. We are looking at Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 11, and we are reading down to verse 19. Um, just by way of introduction, Luke has written this account, his, his gospel record, to be a sure word of the things that happened in the days of Christ. He is writing it for his friend Theophilus, who by all um, accounts was a Gentile leader, and he is explaining that Christ is not only a Savior to the Jews, but he is a Savior to the Gentiles. And you will remember, if you've been in church for any length of time in your life, that Luke was a doctor. He was a physician. He had spent um, quite, quite a bit of time traveling with Paul. We find that in the second half of the book of Acts, which Luke wrote. Um, it's sort of the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke is himself an eyewitness to the apostolic ministry. He, he spent much time with Mary and the other disciples. And he is a physician, and, and as a physician, he is honed in in a very special sense on Christ as the powerful and compassionate high priest who can heal the infirmities of his people in a way that no doctor can do. Luke is sort of astonished by the healing miracles of Jesus. And we're going to find here in Luke 17 this morning one of the great healing miracles of Christ, the healing of the ten lepers. And Luke is giving us this uniquely. It is not found in any of the other Gospels. And there is a very specific purpose that we're going to see this morning that has everything to do with thanksgiving that Luke is focusing in on as he considers Jesus healing the ten lepers. And so we're looking this morning at Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, and as always, you're going to find it very helpful to have your own copy of Scripture open and to be reading along with me this morning. Now, as Jesus is making his way to the cross, and he is getting ever closer to the cross, Luke records these words for us. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith, and it's probably better translated, literally has saved you. Arise and go on your way. Your faith has saved you. There is a story that was told. It was a sort of uh, fable of famous stories about a mother who had lost her son. And in her grief, she turned to the Lord and she cried out and asked the Lord to restore her son. And in an unusual act in this story, 
The Lord answered her prayer and gave her son back to her. And her response to, to the Lord was, Thank you, Lord, but my son also had a hat. Can I get that back too? And, th- and that story captures what's in our hearts. So often we think we deserve more. So often we fail to see all that God has done for us, and we fail to give him thanks for what he's done for us. So often, instead of recognizing that we deserve nothing and that he has given us everything, we complain and grumble and vent, and we act just like that woman thinking, the Lord should have given me more than he has given me. Now, how do we know that? Well, we not only know it from the account of Jesus cleansing these lepers and everything that transpires after he cleanses them, but we know it from the passage right before this. Notice this. Jesus, talking to his disciples, tells them, essentially, after you have done everything that was commanded you, notice verse 10, he says to the disciples, after you have served faithfully, after you have poured your life out in my service, he says, say... We are unprofitable servants. We have only done what was commanded us. So what Jesus is saying there is um, at the heart of true, faithful Christian service is a recognition that we don't deserve anything, that everything is a privilege, that God doesn't owe us anything, and even when we have served to the utmost, we are to say we've only done what was commanded us. And immediately after telling the disciples that very important principle, Jesus now displays, and Luke records for us, an example of how hard that lesson is for people to get. Here we're told that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Notice that in verse 11. He's going to the cross. Luke is picking up on what he told us back in chapter 9. Back in chapter 9, he said that Jesus set his face steadfastly like a flint, like an iron flint to go to the cross. Nothing was going to keep Jesus from laying down his life for his people. He would overcome every hurdle, every obstacle. He would press through every challenge and every difficulty until he had accomplished what he had come into the world to do. And yet, what's remarkable is that as Jesus is progressing to the cross, he goes out of his way to go a circuitous route that you ordinarily wouldn't have gone into the wilderness between Samaria and Galilee, where the only people who were dwelling were leper colonies. The only people that lived in those wildernesses were lepers. And Jesus strategically goes to the very place where he knows he's going to find the socially outcast, alienated former members of Israel and Samaria. And as Luke tells us this, we're going to see this morning three things. First, we're going to see a cry for the mercy of Christ, and then we're going to see a demonstration of the mercy of Christ, and then we're going to see a call to thankfulness for the mercy of Christ, a cry for the mercy of Christ, a demonstration of the mercy of Christ, and a call to thankfulness for the mercy of Christ. Well, notice as Jesus has gone into this wilderness, and he has intentionally done so, as we've seen, we we are told in verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers. Now, leprosy was a disease, as you know, that was horrific. It was a skin disorder that caused body parts to fall off. 
We thankfully don't have anything akin to leprosy today. What we call leprosy is not the leprosy of Jesus' day. It was a horrible disease that ate away your person, that ate away your body, and it, it was not only physically unbearable, it was socially and cultically alienating. Um, if you want to understand this, you go back to Leviticus and those, those laws, those ceremonial laws that God gave Israel. And if you go back to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, you will find a litany of laws concerning lepers. And in Luke chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, we read this, "...the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease, he is unclean. He shall live alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp." Now, that means that functionally, if you contracted leprosy in the days of um, Moses or here even the days of Christ, you were functionally excommunicated from the church. You were driven away from your family. You were driven away from your friends. You were driven away from the place of worship. You were cut off in every way. You were like a dead person living away from all of civilization. And while the Bible does not explicitly tell us this, there is a very real sense where we are supposed to read about a leprous individual and realize that it is a living picture of what we are spiritually, every one of us. It is a picture of what we are. We are alienated from one another. We are alienated from the life of God by nature. We are cut off. We are without hope. We are without help. When Paul wants to talk about the natural condition of man, and y'all just, I know every Sunday I tell you, just go on Twitter. If, if you don't believe the Bible, just go on Twitter. Paul says that we spend our time hating one another and hating God. If you want to see what people live like by nature, just read all of the hostile comments people hurl at one another constantly. And that's a picture that we are alienated from one another and we are alienated from God himself. And in the healing of the lepers, that picture is there so that we would realize that we are in no better condition than them and that their hopelessness can only be met by the power and the mercy of Christ. Now, these lepers had heard about Jesus somehow. They had no doubt heard about his miracles. They had heard that he was a miracle worker. They had heard that he had healed others. Um, one of the marks, by the way, that the kingdom of God had come was that Jesus was healing lepers. When John the Baptist was in prison and he sent disciples to Jesus, and he's like, are you the coming one or are we looking for somebody else? And Jesus sends disciples back to John in prison, and he says, go tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their, their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have the good news preached to them. See, see, what Jesus is doing, it's a mark that the kingdom of God has come. No one can do what Christ is going to do. And, and whether or not the lepers understood that, they had heard that he had been doing these things, and so they approach him. Now, this is remarkable because you're not allowed to approach someone if you're a leper. You have to stand away and cry out, unclean, unclean. And yet these ten lepers approach Christ, 
And Luke tells us they lifted up their voices. They are in absolute desperation. They cannot stand living in this condition any longer. They have heard there may be somebody that could help me. And they lift up their voices in the loudest possible way. And they say, they say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, what they are saying implicitly is that they don't think they deserve his healing power. That they are asking for mercy. They, they are asking him to be merciful. Um, and that is very commendable. Um, you know, it's often the case that the Lord puts things in our lives that bring us to an end of ourselves so that we finally cry out to Christ for mercy. Um, the gospel is full. The gospels are full of those accounts. It's, it's not the people that think they're doing great who cry out to Jesus for mercy. It's the people that know that they can't help themselves. Um, you know, we should all embrace the difficulties and the trials of life because they, they bring us to the rock who is Christ. They, the storms of life press us against the rock who is Christ. And these lepers are crying out to him in desperation. And what's fascinating, and we're going to see here secondly in just a moment, that Jesus responds immediately to their, their cry for mercy. Now, I want to ask you this morning, have you ever cried out for the mercy of Christ? It's a question only you can answer. I can, I can, I can estimate who maybe has done that, um, you know, when, when people seem disinterested and hateful toward Christianity, it's pretty clear they've never done that. Um, and yet, that's a question you have to answer. Have you cried out to Christ for mercy? Um, have you ever said, Lord, have mercy on me? Um, I, I am in the worst possible condition spiritually, and unless you have mercy, no one can help me. No preacher can help you. No religious leader can help you. No prophet can help you. No self-help book can help you. By the way, I said this to somebody this week. It's always shocking to me that you go into a bookstore. I'm shocked we have bookstores still, but you go into a bookstore, and, and there is a huge self-help section. And you're like, if one of these books helped you, you wouldn't need all the other ones. It's, it's shocking how self-evident it is. One self-help book should be all you need. But, but you can't help yourself. And no one can help you but Christ. No one. There's not one person. Your parents cannot help you. Your spouse cannot help you. What we need is for Christ to have mercy on us. And the epicenter of what it means to be a Christian is to cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. Now, what's amazing is that Christ is going to display and demonstrate this mercy. And I've always been awestruck by the fact that in the gospel records, everyone who cries out to the Lord Jesus for mercy receives the mercy for which he or she cries. That is, that is shockingly amazing. There's not one person that Jesus is, is interacting with who cries out to him for mercy where Jesus says, no, I'm not going to be merciful to you. Every single person that means that if you need the mercy of Christ, and you do, and you cry to him sincerely, he'll, he'll show you the mercy for which you're asking. And he does it for these lepers. Notice this. This is amazing. He heals these lepers with word. 
he wills their healing. Notice that Luke tells us that after they lift up their voices, he immediately sees them. Notice verse 14, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, go, show yourself to the priest as they were cleansed with a word. It's all Jesus has to do. All he has to do is will the healing of someone, and they're healed. Um, that's how powerful the Lord Jesus is. He doesn't have to use any means of healing them. There are times in the Gospels where Jesus does things like takes uh, dirt and puts spit on it and puts it on a blind man's eye. He doesn't have to do that. He's, he's teaching lessons. He doesn't have to use means to heal anyone. Jesus is all-powerful. There's nothing you can ask him for that he can't do to help you. Um, what, a, what a comforting thought that is, that when I find myself in a, uh, a pit of despond and despair over my sin, I can know that Christ can heal me like that. Um, just like that, he, he fully heals ten lepers, something no one could do. Um, you know, it's interesting. He is, in one sense, calling these ten lepers to trust him because he's telling them to go do something, and they do what he tells them to do, and they are healed in the doing of what he tells them. That's, that's an important side note, that they are healed because they respond to Jesus. If they had not gone to the priest, they wouldn't have been healed. And in the going, they were immediately healed, and the question is, why does Jesus send them to the priest? Well, we heard this morning in Sunday school that Jesus was born under the law, that he had to obey the Mosaic law. And if you looked in Leviticus chapter 14, one of the things that the priest was set to do, he was to be sort of a medical examiner of sorts, a social medical examiner, and he was to look on the cases of lepers. And if, if someone had been healed of leprosy in those rare cases, he would pronounce him clean. He was the one that would make that public declaration of this individual's status. And, and Jesus is not sending the lepers to the priest to get healed. And here's what's amazing. We can know that they had already been to the priest, and the priest had said, you're unclean. You need to go into the wilderness. And so Jesus is telling them, I want you to go back now to the one that couldn't help you and tell him that you've met the real priest who has healed you and made you clean as a testimony to what God had told Moses to instruct Israel to do. And, and by going back to the priest, what Jesus was doing was restoring these lepers to their life. He was giving them their life back. He was giving them social interaction with their loved ones. He was giving them friendships again. He was giving them uh, the, the ability to be productive in society. And even more than that, the first place Jesus sends these lepers to is the place of worship. He is saying, I have restored you to what is most important. I have enabled you to go into the very temple of God and to worship in the presence of God by mediation of the priest of God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus doesn't just heal them and let them go. He directs them to the most significant place to which they've been restored. Now, this is what's marvelous. When somebody's converted, that's the first thing that you value more than anything. 
When I was a new convert, I wanted to be in the house of worship more than anywhere else, more than with my family, more than with my friends. I could now for the first time enter into the presence of God by, by the Spirit of God at work in my heart through the mediation of Christ, and there was nothing more significant than that. You see what Jesus is doing is he's, he's teaching us that the physical infirmity was just a marker of the greater spiritual need they had. Um, there are so many lessons here for us. Um, if we have cried out to Christ to have mercy on us for some physical infirmity or some difficult circumstance in life or some trial or some heartache or grief, really, he will, he will comfort us and he will support us and he will minister into the depths of our souls, but he will never just stop at giving us relief from those physical or circumstantial situations, he will always go into the very depths of our souls to show us the greater thing that he is having mercy on. That's, that's what this account is talking about. You know, as we reflect on Thanksgiving and this season, and, you know, I asked our session the other night at our, our, our elders meeting, does it seem to you all that our culture has grown really cold to Thanksgiving as a holiday, because we had like two months of Halloween. I know, hooray, Halloween, everybody loves the candy. It's great. Everybody's neighborhood. I've seen nothing for Thanksgiving, which says to me we have a supremely cold and heartless society. And, and if we reflect on what we're doing this week, it's not just to get a week off of work. I mean, you can do that whenever you want. Take a week off. Maybe you can't do that. I don't know. But, but it's, it's to reflect on the bounty that God has given us that we live in this country, we have freedoms to sit in here without worrying about the government shutting it down. That's enormous. We have every freedom imaginable. Um, and yet, oftentimes, that freedom results in covetousness, which results in materialism, which strips from us thankfulness for the spiritual blessings God's given us. But when we get that what Christ is doing when he responds to this cry for mercy in taking both the physical burden but then restoring these lepers spiritually, we understand true thankfulness. And this is going to be the big point in a minute. True thankfulness to Christ for his mercy is recognizing what he's done for us spiritually. Now that's really where this whole passage is moving. It's not, it's not even so much about the power of Christ to heal. It's not so much about... Um, Christ responding instantly to their cry for mercy. It's, it's all of those things, but, but notice where Luke carries this account. Um, as they go, they are going to the priest, and as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Now, this is remarkable. Uh, nine of the ten lepers that were healed were Jews. They were members of the Old Covenant community. They were, they were, they were born in homes. They were covenant children. They were taught the scriptures. They, they were given the prophets. They were given the oracles of God. They were circumcised. They had the mark of the covenant. They were given the worship of God by nature. They had all the, the religious privileges uh, that anyone could have until they contracted leprosy, but that they were members of that, 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 um, that old covenant church. 
And yet not one of them comes back and thanks Jesus, and the foreigner comes back to thank Jesus. Um, J.C. Ryle, the Anglican theologian of the 19th century, says, the best of us are far too like the nine lepers. We are more ready to pray than to praise, more disposed to ask God for what we don't have than thank him for what we have. Murmurings and complainings, discontentment abound on every side of us. Few indeed are found who are not continually hiding their mercies under a bushel. These things ought not be so, but all who know the church and the world must confess that they are true. The widespread thanklessness of Christians is the disgrace of our day. Wow, if that was true in the 19th century, how much more in the 21st? I mean, we live in an absolutely thankless society. Everyone's yelling loudly about what they want, what I don't have, what I want in government and politics and the church and the family, what people owe me in the workplace. Everybody is yelling about what they want. And few are saying, thank God for every mercy he has given me. Every mercy. You know, I was reflecting on this this week. When was the last time we literally got on our knees and thanked God for clean running water, electricity, and central heat and air? When was the last time we thanked God for that? When was the last time we thanked God for, for health? When was the last time we thanked God for automobiles? Just on the physical level, how thankless we are, how quick we are to complain. I mean, this is so convicting. This, is, this ought to be convicting, how thankless we are. Ryle says, Ryle says, it is plain proof of our little humility. Why are we so thankless? Why were the nine so thankless? Because they thought they deserved that healing. They thought they deserved more. They thought they deserved better. They thought that they should have even more than what Christ gave them. You know, uh, one theologian speculates, where were these lepers when they went away and didn't come back? He said, I assume they were at home partying with their family and friends. Rather party with family and friends than fall on the, at the feet of Jesus and thank him. Um, Spurgeon said, we do not praise our Lord in proportion to the benefits received. God's treasury would overflow if the revenue of thanks were more honestly paid. We believe for heaven and eternity, yet we do not magnify the Lord as we ought to for earth and time. Think about that. You know, when we think about egregious sins, spousal abuse, rape, um, theft, we think about egregious sins, um, oppression, of all sorts, any number of things, we oftentimes fail to realize that those respectable sins, as Jerry Bridges calls them, are, are just as grievous. Thanklessness is grievous. It's grievous for us not to be thankful all the time. You know, I look at a Johnny Erickson Tata, and I am utterly convicted of how thankless I am and how thankful and joyful she is. And that ought to be the goal, no matter what our situation in life if we have cried out to Christ for mercy, if he has answered that cry, our whole life ought to be just one of thankfulness. You know, it's really interesting in the book of Colossians when the Apostle Paul is giving all these applications and he's, he's 
giving these sort of machine gun applications after giving the gospel. Um, he, he actually says this. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are also called in one body and be thankful. I've always thought that was striking. Paul's writing this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Oh, and be thankful. Why does Paul have to say be thankful? Because we need to hear that we have every reason to thank God and that we're not thankful enough. And then right after saying that, Paul goes on and he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing to God in your hearts with thankfulness. Isn't that interesting? Twice he says, let the peace of Christ reign in you, be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, be thankful. Um, I love it when I hear you sing out on Sunday morning because loud praises to God flow from thankful hearts. And when you hear the people of God singing out with joy, you know that there's gratitude at work in them. They are overflowing with thankfulness. Um, You know, it's very interesting. Jesus asked this man when he comes back, the one, the Samaritan, he asked three questions. He says, we're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? No one was found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. Jesus is amazed. By the way, there's only a couple things in the gospel that, that Jesus marvels over. One of them is unbelief, and the other one is unthankfulness. Isn't that interesting? They would take the mercies from him, but they would not thank him for who he is. Jesus understands here, and this is a very important lesson for us this morning, that many people want the benefits of Jesus, but don't want Jesus. And the goal is for us to want Christ, not just for the gifts he gives, but because he is the gift of God himself. You know, it's interesting Leprosy made people unclean so that no one could touch them or they would contract that uncleanness. But in the Gospels, there's one other record of Jesus healing a leper, and he touches that leper. And that's not just that Jesus is trying to give that leper physical touch, which he or she had never had for so long. It's that Jesus is showing that he can take away their uncleanness by taking it to himself. And you know where Jesus takes the leprosy to himself is on the cross. He becomes the most unclean thing in the sight of God and men on the cross. He becomes the leper of lepers on the cross because of our sin. Sinclair Ferguson reflecting on something one of his friends said once, said that his friend said, you know, I've always marveled at the fact that in order for something dirty to become clean, something clean has to become dirty. Moms know this so well when they clean their children's shoes and clothes. In order for something dirty to become clean, something clean has to become dirty. And that's what happens in the gospel. Jesus takes our uncleanness on himself by becoming unclean to make us clean. Now here's what's amazing. There are two times in the Gospels when Jesus expresses thanksgiving himself. One of those is when he multiplies the bread and the fish, the fish and the loaves, 
looks up to heaven, he thanks God, he breaks, he distributes. And the other time is when he is instituting the Lord's Supper, and he takes the bread that is a picture of his broken body. And every gospel writer that touches on this notes that when he had given thanks, he took the bread, he said, this is my body, broken for you. As often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. What makes Jesus thankful? That his body would be torn apart under the judgment of God for your sin and for my sin. Nothing makes Jesus more thankful than that his body is going to be ripped apart under the wrath of God to save you. And nothing will make you thankful so much as a sight of that, a real and true spiritual sight of that. So that if I am not thankful in my life, in every way, shape, or form, I have taken my eyes off of Christ, I've put them on myself, I've put them on what I want, I've put them on my circumstances, and Jesus says, listen, I will give you all the mercy you need. Um, I, I am ashamed at how unthankful I am. You know, this man, notice this man, what we learn from this foreigner, he falls on his face at Jesus' feet. He falls on his face at Jesus' feet. And you know what's really interesting? Jesus asked this man those three questions. Where are the other nine? We're not ten cleansed. Was no one found to return and give thanks to God but this foreigner? And you know what? Jesus never gets an answer to that question, those questions. You know why? Because that Samaritan was so full of gratitude and so consumed with Christ, he wouldn't even excoriate the other nine for their ingratitude. And I think about how much I want to fixate on the sins of others rather than just fall on my face at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, thank you for having mercy on me. Over and over and over, repeat, rinse, wash, over and over and over again. Um, listen to this, Spurgeon, and I'll close with this. He says, in true thankfulness, there is humility. This man fell down at Jesus' feet. He did not feel perfectly in place until he was lying there. He did not feel perfectly in place until he was lying at the feet of Jesus. I am nobody, Lord, he seemed to say. And so he fell on his face. But the place for his prostration was at, at Jesus' feet. Listen to this. Spurgeon said, I would rather be nobody at Christ's feet than everybody anywhere else. I would rather be nobody at Jesus' feet than anybody anywhere else. There's no place so honorable than down at the feet of Jesus. To lie there always just to love him to let self die out. True thankfulness lies low before the Lord. Now, I hope this morning that this may be the most unusual Thanksgiving sermon you've ever heard. I hope that it is deeply convicting, and I hope that it is deeply comforting to you, because we have every reason to thank our God for every mercy that he has ever showed us. We are to say with the disciples, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty, and we are to fall down at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I want to be at your feet. 
I want to be worshiping you. I want to be thanking you. There is no place I would rather be. And if we do that, not one church is ripped apart by division, schism, ingratitude, complaints. Not one marriage is ripped apart by infidelity. By the way, this is the secret to keeping your marriage solid. Stay on your face at the feet of Jesus, thanking him for every single thing you have. Every relationship, every situation, we go low to the feet of Jesus and praise him for the mercy that he has given us. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this portion of Scripture. We thank you that it does convict us of our ingratitude and We do ask this morning that you would forgive us, Lord, for not being thankful for every situation, for every mercy, for every blessing, not least of which for the Lord Jesus becoming unclean because of our uncleanness. Lord Jesus, we do thank you. We pray that you would put it in our hearts to bow low at your feet, to thank you continually, to praise you, to worship you together with your Father and Spirit. Lord, would you help us. Would you make us a people who are marked by thankfulness? We pray that it would be evident to others and that you would be glorified by it. And so, our God, would you give us that sweet grace of humility unto thanksgiving? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And. Uh...